Um, hey, I'm Scott Robinson, and I'm really glad you're here today. Um, my wife, Jenny, is down here in front, and we are coming up in a few weeks on 24 years of marriage. Yeah, I have two awesome daughters that are over there. They don't want to be embarrassed, but Maya and Kinley, um, soon to be juniors and seniors, and uh, I got an amazing family. And uh, if you've met them, you love them. They're awesome, so I'm thankful for them. Um, and I'm excited to dig in the Word with you. Uh, you know, I was thinking, as before we jump in, I just was thinking about um, um, that, you know, when you go, to, you go to a meal and you got like, the, like if you go to Chili's, you got your appetizer, your chips and your dips, and you got your drinks, and then you got your meal, and you got dessert. You know, when you come on Sunday morning, it's actually not like that. Like, this isn't, and this isn't about me, this, if anyone's up front, this isn't like the meal and the appetizer was worship. It's actually Jesus is our all-consuming desire. And I just want to make sure, if there's any evaluation, if you've been in church very long, you might go, okay, now's the message, and so this is, what have we wait? No, actually, it's Jesus in the room, which we're after. It's him, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's his life that we're after. And so from the moment you got out of your car, and you, well, even before that, you got out of bed and chose to come to church in the morning, is your heart is leaning towards him. And so here, even as we dig in the word, this is just a part of the bigger picture that God wants to transform our lives. He wants to show us he loves us. He wants to show us that he's a God of comfort. And, I, and even as we're talking about and praying for you, Valdi is just probably many of us in the room have never had that kind of depth of pain, but my guess is that everyone in this room has some measure of pain. And the reality is pain is subjective, right? What I feel is painful is, is in me depth of pain. And at every moment, pain, I have a choice to make. Am I going to lean into the comforter or am I going to pull away and, and judge and question him? Okay, so if, if any of that, even we're praying for Valdi and you're like, oh, that's really hard. My life isn't as hard. No, actually the pain you feel is actually very valid for who God is and how he can restore us. Okay, so my hope is as we look at the word that there is this transformative power that happens in us that only he can do from his word, Okay. Um, as I said, I'm the young adults and career pastor here, and if you're in that community, raise your hand real quick, raise your hand. I love these people. I love walking with them. We are so honored to walk with them. Um, so that is like, I just graduated college, and I'm figuring out my career up to, I'm in my 30s and maybe 40s, and, and I'm, I'm well established in my career. This community is, you may not be aware, but this community is awesome, part of this church. It's an integral part of this church. They love each other. They love Jesus. It's a wonderful uh, place that Jenny and I get to have. It's very honored. We're so thankful. Um, and uh, the other thing, too, I just want to mention again, is that this next year, uh, Jenny and I are going to be leading the night uh, training school. And so we would love to invite you to ask God if you should be a part of this. So what that means is, if there's something that says, I want to know him more and I want to grow more in my relationship with him, this school's for you. Okay, it's once a week, as Adam said, it's in the morning, excuse me, it's Sunday evening from 3.30 to 7.30. We're getting in the word, we're worshiping together, we're having people come in and teach different things that are related to who we are and who God is and how he changes our life and he wants to impact the world. And it's awesome. And there's a few people that are here that actually just finished the school this last year and they would probably go, it changed my life. Like something happened those nine months where I just wholeheartedly gave myself to God that changed them. So young or old, doesn't matter. If there's something that's curious about this, it might be the Holy Spirit. And so just encourage you, look for the spot on the website where you can click a, a link and just give us your information and we'll get the application out pretty quickly to you. So, um, all right. Um, we're continuing in the series Life in His Name and um, I get to uh, lead us into John 7 and I'm really excited about it. Um, so pray with me real quick as we jump in the word. All right, Holy Spirit, we love who you are. We acknowledge who you are and what you do, and we trust you that your word, God, is living and active. And even as we dig into your word today, God, I ask that you would translate what we're hearing and what we're talking about into personal application and transformation for us. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. Amen. Hey, the, um, before service, there's a prayer team that prays for us for this time. And one of the things that they came, and Jim came to me um, before the service and said, hey, there's one specific thing we felt like from God that we want to just bring to us. And it was one word. They felt like God said to encourage each of us, you and I both, to look for one word to walk away with today 
to say, I'm taking that word and I'm going to go after it with God. Just one. Because there's a lot of words ahead for us. (laughs) But there's one thing that probably Holy Spirit's like, this is for you today. Don't miss it. Okay? So I encourage you to do that. Write it down as you're leaving here and maybe going to lunch or going home for a nap. Tell someone, this is the one thing God spoke to me today. This is the one thing he's inviting me into. And so this week we dive into his presence and his care through that one word. Okay, John 7. Um, so here's the backdrop. What we're going to do is we're actually, there's, there's four different groups of people and how they relate with Jesus. So today we're going to look at how they relate with him and then how it applies to our lives. But I think it's helpful to understand um, the, uh, the backdrop we have here. So this is the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? Um, another word is Sukkot or the Feast of Indwelling, okay? So none of us have feasts quite like the Jews back then had feasts, okay? The Israelites didn't. They, we don't quite understand this, but I want to try to paint a picture. So God laid out long before this, 100 years before that, there were three main feasts that every person, every Jewish person, every Jewish male, and thus their families, would come to Jerusalem and get before the Lord every year, three of them. This was the culmination of that. This was around harvest time, and the purpose of this was to come to Jerusalem. So picture metropolitan, but back in the day. It's not like we would think, but thousands upon thousands of people, different languages, different perspectives, different dress, different cultures, and everyone's coming for one reason, for this festival, to celebrate the provision of God. It's the harvest time, so they're coming to celebrate. The other part of this, it goes even before that, that God actually laid out very clear in Scripture, is to come together, and they're supposed to build tabernacles or little houses or huts. And all of these families had to build these huts all around the city. And the purpose was to remind them of when God released them from slavery in Egypt, and they were journeying through the, through the wilderness. And God was, the presence of God was in the cloud by day and the fire by night. And, that God, and so God instructed them, all people are supposed to come to Jerusalem for this time. It's seven days. And, and he gave three clear instructions. Build one of these little houses. Your family's supposed to eat in it. And remind you that I led you through the wilderness. The second one was a specific type of wood that they should use. And the third one, listen to this. God's instruction was celebrate. Isn't that cool? God loves a party. He loves our joy in our life. Our life in walking in God is not meant to be boredom. If it is, we got to get before his face more because even in, in this celebrate, in this time, God said, there's three things you should do. One of them is have fun. Just enjoy life. Enjoy each other. Feast and enjoy each other. Okay, so that's the backdrop we're looking at is people from all over the world are converging into one spot to meet with God, remember his provision, and even more, remember his, the way he cared for us. And it's a prophetic look forward to one day the Messiah will come and he's going to show us the way. One day we won't wander anymore because he'll show us the way. Uh, the psalmist wrote, I thought this is a really good one. It, it sums up, I think, the heart of these people at this time. Psalms 91, uh, 1 and 2. Here it is. All right. Uh, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress and my God in whom I trust. This sums up the heart of the people in a way. They're longing for this. If we'll dwell in the shelter of the Most High, we will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Some of us today need to understand what true rest is. And rest comes from the shadow of God. If we'll get up underneath him and let him cover us, the sun won't bake us. We can rest. Some of us, your soul just churns with speed and you try to outrun pain or frustration or struggles. And sometimes we got to get on our face and just say, Lord, I'm going to rest in your shadow. Okay? And it says, I'll save the Lord. He's my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. That's the heartbeat of these people as they're showing up. And here's Jesus, and he interacts with four different groups of people. And all of them have distinctive differences in how they relate with him. Let's look at the first one. This is verse 1 through 9. Uh, this is his brothers. So scripture in, in Mark, it says that, that Jesus had at least three younger brothers and sisters. There may be more. We're not sure. But this is, and so possibly it's brothers and family talking to Jesus. And listen to what they're saying. After the Jesus, Je, Jesus, excuse me, hold on. Slow down. Sorry. Let's take a breath. After this, Jesus went to Galilee. 
He did not want to go from Jerus- go about in Jerusalem, I'm sorry, in Judea, because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, leave, Ju- leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see your works. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Verse 6, therefore Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. If, if you, um, for, you any, for you any time will do, the world, cannot hate you. the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival, I'm not going up to this festival because my time is not yet f- fully come. After this, or after he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. Okay, so we see these brothers, and probably it's the family around him, and they're pressuring him to go. There's the culture pressure. This is the festival. God's commanded us for hundreds of years. You've got to go to this festival. And Jesus, living by the Father's voice, says, it's not my time. Interesting. He didn't bow to the pressure. So I want us to look at four different ways that the, that the brothers related to him and then how it possibly relates to our lives. The first one, if you look, um, well, the first thing I said is leave Galilee and go to Judea. They said to Jesus, leave Galilee and go to Judea. It's interesting. So their younger brothers are telling Jesus what to do. He's a grown man, and they're saying, no, I think I know better than you. You need to go to Judea. You need to go leave here and go to the festival. They're trying to control Jesus' life. Isn't that interesting? When you think about the relationship with Jesus and how they relationship with him, when control has a place, there's actually an authentic relationship. They're trying to control him, so in reality, they're actually trying to tell him what to do, and from that, they actually don't have a deep relationship with him. In a sense, they're standing at a distance and telling him what to do, okay? The second thing they said to Jesus, um, they said, following that, as they said, so that your disciples uh, may see the, the works that you do. Isn't that interesting? When I read this, so when we read scripture, oftentimes there's just, it's linear. We can't get the emotion of the moment. So sometimes I'll stop and I'll go, God, what's happening here? And for me, when I read this, I hear a bit of cynicism. Potentially, the brothers are saying, hey, go up there because your disciples, those people who follow you, they really want to see your works. Like, go show off. Go show them what you can do. His brothers are questioning. They they know he can do something, but they're questioning his intentions. Interesting. And they go on the next verse. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Again, look at the, we're looking at the, the relationship of Jesus with the brothers. And they're assuming that he wants to be a public figure. Now, if you know anything about Jesus, you know he is not about that. He's about actually rescuing the lost. He's about actually meeting you and I where we are in our pain and setting us free. But instead, these brothers are saying, hey, you're a public figure, right? So go and show off. Let people know who you are. Again, lack of relationship leads to inaccurate assumptions. Lack of relationship leads to inaccurate assumptions. This lack of relationship with these brothers led them to assume that he wanted to be a public figure. And finally, they top it off and they say, why don't you go show yourself to the whole world? Okay, so put yourself in Jesus' feet, in in his seat for a moment. That doesn't make any sense. But for them, for those brothers, it made complete sense. Because they were saying, they were thinking, he wanted to be a public figure. He needs to go show off. In fact, let the whole world know who you are. Let the whole world know who you are. And then verse 5, it tells of their heart. For even his own brothers didn't believe in him. Even his own brothers didn't believe in him. You know how familiarity breeds contempt? When Jesus' brothers related to Jesus there is not a belief that he was the son of God, okay? So what we're going to do today, if you notice this little table, is these four, char- these four people, we're actually going to have four different um, representations of who they are and how they related to him because I think, I hope what happens is we actually see these and we go, oh, that makes sense in my life. So the first one, I chose a pillow, okay? Because this is how Jesus, the brothers related to Jesus. Okay, think about your favorite pillow in your bed, At night, you're like, this thing puts me to sleep. I sleep great every night, and if it doesn't work, throw it away, get a new one. And then you leave all day. You don't think about your pillow. Unless it's like afternoon nap time, then you might think about your pillow. But in general, you don't think about your pillow until the next night. It's like, oh, yeah, my pillow's there. Oh, yeah, that's comfort. 
In a way, Jesus' brothers are relating with him this way. They actually don't really trust him. They don't really know him. They use him, and they assume who he really is. Okay? So for you and I today, just for a minute, just with the Holy Spirit, is do you relate with Jesus like these brothers? Do I relate with Jesus like these brothers? Is there a familiarity with him? Maybe you've been around church for a long time. You're like, ah, I've heard about, I've heard John 7, or I've heard about Jesus. Maybe you've been around the church long enough that you actually are too familiar with him, and you forget that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We forget that he, when we, when we sing those songs, it's about a king that, that um, demands our affections, not demands like expects it, but, but he's so amazing and overwhelming that our affections need to be ones that lead us to our knees in submission to him. He's in charge. We don't have to be. These brothers were like this pillow. And if you're like me, I grew up in church. And I at times have to be careful that I don't relate with him kind of like those brothers and go, I know what you're doing. I know what you're up to. And essentially what we're saying is I'm leading my life. You don't have to lead my life. And they never once realized he was the king of kings sent to redeem the world from sin. It's incredible. Okay? So that's the brothers. Um, so if we could look at physical proximity and heart proximity for a minute. So, so their physical proximity is they were close to Jesus, right? Where were the, what was their heart proximity like? Far off. They had no clue about who he really was. They were too familiar with him to, un, to remember that he was the king. He was the redeemer. And probably for all of us, most of us, we could possibly relate with him in this way. And, and, and as we go through these, I just want to give a bit of a caution to look at the pillow and go, oh, check, I don't relate with him that way. But there's possibly a part of our life or your life or my life that I'm like, wait, right there, that thing, that part of my life, I relate with him like the brothers. Everything else, he's king. Everything else, he's in charge. Everything else, I trust him. But my job, I know what's best. But my family, but my spouse, I, I, I know it's best. Jesus, stay at a distance. I got it figured out. If you want to do a miracle, go for it, but I got it figured out. Okay? All right, second group of people we're going we're gonna to look at is the crowds. And this is fascinating. So we're going to jump around here a little bit. We're going to start in verse 12. Verse 12 through 20. Among the crowds, there were widespread whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. Others replied, no. He deceived the people, but no one would say anything public about him for fear of the leaders. Verse 14, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having, seen, having been taught? And Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether, I, or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their, on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who speaks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you, or not, not one of you, keeps the law? <laughs> that's, that's a scathing rebuke. Um, why are you trying to kill me, Jesus finished. And they said, you're demon-possessed. And the crowd answered, who's trying to kill you? Okay. And we're going to jump down to 25, 26. At this point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they were trying to kill? Why is he speaking publicly? And they're not saying a word about him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? Okay. So here we have a group of people. We have masses. We have no idea how many people this is. But it's enough that they're actually another group that's relating to Jesus. Very, very different than the brothers. So let's go back again to verse 11. Now the festival of the Jewish leaders, uh, oh, excuse me, excuse me, verse 12. Among the crowds there was widespread whispering about him. Some said he's a good man. First thing I want to note is that, that these people, if, if how they related with him was there was widespread whispering. They stood at a distance and they talked among themselves to decide what's true about him. Oh, he's a good man. No, no, no. He's deceived people. 
there's trouble in our lives if we start listening to other people's voices about who Jesus really is. We're not going down the right path if we read the next blog, we watch the next sermon, we do the next, um, you know, listen to the next great worship song, hoping all along that that's going to tell me who he really is. If those things have a place in our lives, but I just want to caution us. These people were deceived because they whispered among themselves. They let social media of the day determine their belief system. What's posted on Instagram about Jesus probably isn't true, by and large. There's probably a lot of great stuff. But you know what I'm saying? If you go to social media or you go to your friends and you say, hey, what about this Jesus? What about this church thing? Tell me more about it. And all along, you don't go face-to-face with him and say, I need to know who you are. Would you tell me who you are? Would you teach me who you are? We're going to be deceived. That was my story. I grew up in the church. And I did. I loved God. I had a great mom, a great family, great family friends around me that loved me and cared for me. But it became a point in my life when I was 19 where I said, God, if you're true and you're real, I have to know you myself. And I said, God, you prove yourself to me. Now, that wasn't an arrogant, brotherly comment. That was like a hunger, like I have to know you. And that was a summer after my freshman year of college. And I I came out of that summer and I said, I love him. And he's rescued me and he has my whole life. Now, you don't have to be 19. You can be 15 and do the same thing. You can be 55 and say, Lord, I want to know you differently than I do right now. Would you teach me? I encourage you, go to the word of God, get in healthy community. Those are what life groups are about. And by and large, turn away the noise and the whispering and get before God. Set aside time every day and say, I want to be with you, Jesus. Teach me who you are. And in that place of hunger and desire, he meets with us. Okay, so these people were standing at a distance and they're whispering among themselves and determining their belief system based on what other people said. This doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Verse 15. Here we go. The Jews, were, the Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such teaching or such learning without having been taught? So again, these Jews now were listening to what Jesus said. So they were, they were among the, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they probably were, who knew so much scripture and they heard similar teachings. But why is it that they instead they heard Jesus say similar things and they go, Something's different about what he's saying. And they were amazed. But look at their response. Their amazement said, I'm going to stay at a distance and look at a distance. Those those people never realized he was the king because they stayed at a distance instead of someone, anyone going, you guys keep talking. I'm going to get at his feet and I want to know him. I have to know him more. Okay? Okay. Verse 28. Then Jesus, still teaching um, in the temple court, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. That's Spock talking about God the Father. Do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he has sent me. Jesus is saying there are facts and there's experience and those are married together when you come to me okay here's kind of this 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 situation happened to us a few years ago so we lived overseas 14 years and we'd every two and a half three years we'd come home on furlough and um and for us central texas was where we went to college where our girls were born because i like home away from home and so every time we'd come home and we come to america that's where we kind of base out of so this one time, a couple years ago, we're driving in the car together, and we're kind of an older part of town, and there's older houses, and we're coming up a gradual hill, and on the left, there's this old gas station, and on the right, there's this kind of like food market thing, and the road we're on didn't have a stop sign, but on either side, there were stop signs, and we're driving up the hill, and the car in front of us is driving normal, and this other car runs the stop sign and hits them, right in the middle of the intersection, and so... You know, of course, there's a family like, what, what's going on, you know? And the other car kind of pulls up off to the side, and this car's sitting in the intersection, idling. The car's idling. And so I pull up around, and I'm watching, and I'm realizing no one's doing anything. And so I 
I said, I said, Jenny, can you, can you call 911 and let's pray? And then I walk up to the car and the window's down and I look in and this lady, she's sitting in the car and her hands are on the, wind, on the steering wheel and there's a young man in, in the, the front seat and there's two kids in the back seat. And, I'm, and I look at the lady and her eyes are rolling back in her head and there's like foam coming out her mouth. And, I, and for a second, and I'm not like a medical person, but I thought, I wonder if she's having a seizure. And so I look at the young man and I say, are you Okay. And he says, yeah, let's shake up. And so I open the door, and I look down, and I realize her foot is on the brake, and the car is in drive. And I thought, what if she pulls her foot off the brake? And so I reach over, I put it in park. I tell the young man, I said, hey, why don't you step out of the car? These kids in the back are starting to cry. And I said, go help those kids. And then the lady came from the crowd and, and took the kids to the side and just loved on them and helped them. And the lady is holding on to the steering wheel. I'm like, God, what do I do? I don't know what to do. God, help. What do I do? And, and, I, and I just felt like God said, just comfort her. The, the, the paramedics are coming. And so I took her hands off the steering wheel, and I just put them in her lap. And again, she's her eyes in the back of her head. She's having a seizure. Prayed over her, just in Jesus' name, peace, come and heal. Lord, the trauma wouldn't hurt these kids. And I heard the ambulances coming. And so I kind of backed out of the car. And if you've ever been in a situation, there's like adrenaline's cranking, and your heart's racing. So I turn around, and I see a group of maybe a dozen people, and this is what they're doing. And they're just watching. And I got mad. I didn't say anything. But I, I made sure the paramedics helped him, and then I got in the car, and as adrenaline starts to kind of slow down, and I thought, who in the world are we as a people that we would rather stand at a distance and record a moment instead of rescue people? Jesus jumps into the middle of people's lives, our mess. He goes right in the middle of it. And he says, I want to know you and I want to set you free. And so often we're like the people, let's get the camera rolling and let's make a moment out of it. And those people, it was so hard for me, but I think it's an example of what we're talking about here is that these, these people stand at a distance and they make determinations upon their own perspectives instead of saying, God, if you're real, I have to know you today. God, if you can really be the rescuer, what about my job? God, if you're really the comforter, what about my marriage that's in shambles right now? God, if you really lead me beside still waters, what about my next steps? I just graduated high school and the future scares me. I don't, whatever it is, your situation, let's not be like the people that stand at a distance. Because distance clouds reality. Distance clouds reality. So the, the one that I want for us to think about here is that these people were like the binoculars. Okay? If you look for binoculars, you know what this looks like. You can look far off and see a distance, but if you try looking up close, it's just a blur. God's intention is that we put our binoculars down and he invites us to him to know him, okay? He invites us to him to know him. So I grew up in Alaska, and, um, and uh, my, between my junior and senior year, I was, um, my buddy named Josh, he was the youth pastor's son, he and I love to fish and hunt together. And so this, and we, we set up our, our summer job schedule. So Friday afternoon, right after work, he'd pick me up in his Jeep and we'd have an empty ice chest full of ice ready for salmon and our fishing gear and a little bit of snacks. And we'd drive about two, two and a half hours to this, this river. It's a world-renowned river where fishermen come from all over the world to catch different kinds of species of salmon. It's called the Kenai River and the Russian River and they come in together. So he and I would go there, and we would catch fish. We'd catch our limit, and then we'd sleep in the Jeep, and then we'd get up the next morning early and catch our other limit, and then we'd go home with six beautiful salmon to enjoy with our families. And so this was the same kind of thing. We're like, okay, we got it. We're super excited. And so we pull up, and this time we get there, and it's dark outside, and, and no one's fishing except for us. And there's about a half moon out, and it's in the middle of nowhere, so it's just the moon is lighting up the, the sky so we walk down the path, and we're walking along the river. I wish you could be there. It was beautiful. This was Alaska. This was gorgeous, right? So the river is moving past us quietly, and it's kind of a milky blue-gray color because of glacial runoff, and we know it's teeming with salmon, and they're waiting for us. And so we're going to our spot where we normally go, and we're walking along, and we see up a plate where the fishing game had built this kind of wood trough where people clean their fish, and they take the meat to go home and eat it, and then they put the rest of the salmon that they don't want anymore into the river, Okay. Um, bears love salmon. Did you know that? Okay, just saying. So 
we see this familiar trough and we're like, I bet that thing was busy today with people cleaning fish. And right around it is this tall grass about waist high. We're walking with our hip waders. It's kind of gushy. And we were wanting to cross the river and go to the other side where we always fish. So we come up to this part where the, we're in, into the grass and we're coming up to the trough. And we look off into the river a little bit and just enough moonlight to go, what's that in the river? I'm not kidding. We're like, oh, no. So we grew up in Alaska. We were taught... If you, if you surprise a bear, they'll usually come after you. But if you let them know you're there, they're scared and they run away, generally speaking. And so we're like, hey, bear! Hey, bear! You know, we're yelling, Josh and I and no one else, for miles around on this river because we got to get our fish. Hey, bear! You know, and we're throwing rocks and we're getting a little closer and we're like, he's not moving. He's in the middle of the river. He's not moving. And we get a little closer and this time we come to the trough and for a second we realized We'd always been taught that bear loved to actually sleep at night in tall grass around where dead salmon were. And we're like, we're really in trouble. <laughs> but this bear in the middle of the river, so we're walking a little closer. Hey, bear! And for just a minute, we went, that's not a bear. That's a, that's a stump. <laughs> it's true. So thankfully, no one was around to see this, so you don't know if it's fact or fiction, but I'm telling you it's true. Just kidding. It was true. So, so we get a little closer and we're like, oh, we walked this river a hundred times. We've seen that low spot in the river a hundred times. We've never seen a stump. And so, of course, you and I would think it was a bear. It was not. So we were like, oh, that's really funny. And inside we're like, you know, dying, thinking, what, just who runs faster uh, gets out of the way and the other one gets eaten. You know, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> but he's faster than me, so I was in trouble. So we cross the river, and then we go up to the side of the bank, and we're fishing and fishing, and, it, and it's late. We catch a few fish. And we just realized we don't want to walk through the bear-infested area back to our truck to sleep. So we're just going to sleep on the side of the river. And it was this gradual slope. It was beautiful. And then it kind of flattened out. And there's this mountain in the background, these gorgeous trees, vine trees everywhere. And the rocks were kind of river eroded. And so we're like, we're just going to lay on here and sleep. So we lay down. Wish you could have been there. It was incredible. Has anyone ever seen the Northern Lights? Oh, bucket list. If you don't have any bucket lists. So... Um, so we lay down at night, or we lay down and we're just going to sleep on this side of the bank real quick because we don't want to face the stump bear that could eat us, you know? And we look up and the moon's off to the right and all of a sudden we see the northern lights. And sometimes they're bright colors, but this time they were white. And it looked like, I remember going, they were, they were dancing and I thought, this looks like the hand of God with a paintbrush. You ever seen anyone with a paintbrush and they leave kind of beautiful strokes? They were just dancing on the, on the, in the sky, and we were blown away. And I remember laying there and thinking, oh, the glory of God on display. I was blown away. We got up the next morning, we caught more fish, took them home, went to work. What does it apply to right now, <laughs> is the question. Um, some of us, when we're talking about these people, and we talk, when we think about distance, clouds, reality, some of us in this room have places of fear or concern or worry, and it's like that bear in the river that I can't quite figure out if it's real or not. And fear holds us back and sends us back to where we're going. And I want to challenge us, if that's you, God, give me courage to walk across this river. Because on the other side is the glory of God on display. On the other side is your rescue. On your other side is your heart being fulfilled with the Jesus who loves you deeply. And the other side of walking past fear because he's with you and you'll never be alone is a place of God displaying his glory in your life because we weren't the only ones that saw the Northern Lights that night. There are many other people, I'm sure, miles around that saw the glory of God. And so when he rescues your life and my life, it's not intended just to make me feel better or give me a better job or rescue my marriage. It's actually intended to see the, the world to go, oh, God's amazing. He's incredible. Okay? So... They related to Jesus like with these binoculars is the point. Okay, the next people that we want to look at real quick is, is the religious leaders. Verse 11. Um, now, as the festival of the Jewish leaders, no, at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Okay, I want to pause for a minute. Jesus said, I only say what I hear my father saying, and I only do what my father says to do. Jesus lived a life of abiding, John 15, and in a way that his life mirrored the, the glory of God, okay? There is, a, there is a way that these Jewish leaders were living that were so far from the truth. They probably knew more scripture than any of us in this room. 
possibly. But all along, they had amassed knowledge and no relationship. These Jewish leaders stood at a distance and they said, where is he? I don't know where he is. But those that walk with God know where Jesus is and what he's doing. There's a relationship that we see in, in God that's so, so drastically different and more beautiful than what these religious leaders lived. Verse 25. Um, at that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? So these Jewish leaders, religious, they look the part, they talk the part. Everyone knew when they walked, when they walked down the road that they knew God. They were probably closer to God than anyone else. That was the perception outwardly. But when we read this and we realize these people, everyone knew he wanted to kill Jesus. The word spread that these people that were closer to God wanted to kill Jesus. Okay? Matthew 5, when Jesus talks about he, t- he said, if anyone has hatred in their heart, it's equal to murder. Jesus took the law to a very different and very much a relational way. There's a place in our lives where if we have hatred in our heart, we have unforgiveness in our heart, it's similar to these Jewish leaders. We have unforgiveness, and unforgiveness leads us to a place of blame and accusation, and eventually there's a hatred in our heart. And Jesus said, what's in your heart is how you are, who you are. We need a savior We need a savior, okay? So think of it this way. Hatred starts as a temptation, okay? So probably no one in this room's like, like the Jewish leaders weren't like cold-hearted killers, right? They didn't walk around there and people were like, oh, they're assassins. There's something in their heart that came out of their mouth that we're gonna take his life. Why? It started long before that. So if we look at a situation of like Uvalde, for example, and that whole thing, and we just go, oh, it's terrible. We don't ever go, God, what's going on? What, what about in my life? We'll never do those kinds of things, but God, what in, is there anything in my life that, that, that I need to give to you in the cross so I can be free and whole, okay? So these Jewish leaders, they actually carried and harbored unforgiveness. So here's how it works. Hatred or fill in the blank. Um, jealousy, gossip, lust, what, fill in the blank, okay? It never starts outwardly. It starts with a thought, a temptation. So the devil comes with something that has an air of truth to it, but it's deception. And we go, yeah, that's probably true about that person. It travels from our heads to our hearts and takes roots in our belief system and comes out in our words and actions. Let me say that again. Temptations come from the outside in, and it sounds right about the person. So a coworker, or your spouse. Your spouse hurts you. They said the wrong thing out the door to work, and you start going, oh, that hurt. They don't love me. If they loved me, they wouldn't say that. That temptation, the reality of an experience comes in, and then that temptation carries an accusation that divides the relationships. It takes root in my heart, my belief system, then it works itself out in my actions. Okay, do you guys see that progress, progression? All of us have been on the planet enough to hopefully you can go, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that means that's like a whole healed life or that's a life that's been bondage because it doesn't start outwardly. So these Jewish leaders lived a life of accusation. They lived a life of hatred and unforgiveness. And my guess is if we were to sit with one of them and we were to say, God, what's at the root of this Jewish leader wants to kill Jesus? What's that about? And, we let, and they were soft hard enough to let God speak. My guess is God would say, there's unforgiveness in your heart and there's jealousy. And so they had a chance to repent for jealousy and then say, God, would you show me who I really am so they don't live out that life of hatred, okay? So for the Jewish leaders, well, here's what we're gonna have for an example. We're gonna have a scale. I do good and bad and I do more good than bad it's okay if I want to kill someone because I have more good in my life. I do good and bad, and, and, and I read my Bible, and I go to church on Sunday, and it's okay if I gossip about my coworker and tear them down in front of other people. It's okay because they're, it's justified. They're not really nice because I do more good. Is that relatable? Hopefully to all of us. Okay. We can live life with a scale of goods and bads, rights and wrongs, and all along miss God. 
That's why he said to the, the religious leaders at another point, he said, you diligently study the scriptures and yet you miss me. It's the most grievous part of this story, in my opinion. Okay. Um, so proximity-wise, physical proximity, the Jewish leaders, they were sometimes close, sometimes near. Did that change them? No, because their heart was hard. If you find yourself with this distance, God, can I really trust God, this hardness of heart? It gets softened in an instant when you get it in your knees and you say, Jesus, I have to know you. Everything changes. And my guess is if you say, Lord, why is there a hardness of heart inside of me? If you ask him honestly, he'll help you and me. He'll probably say, hey, you need to forgive this person. You need to let him go. You need to commit him to the cross and so I can help you love them. Okay? This last group of people, as we, round, as we wrap up here, is the guards. And so I thought, I thought about this interesting story. Um, so I said I grew up in Alaska, and I went to Baylor University. That's where mom and dad went. It's kind of this family thing. Um, and, and I remember showing up as a freshman, and I didn't understand Texas culture. Like, instead, of pe- people, you go to McDonald's, and you'd order a drink, and, you'd, and I'd say, hey, can I have a pop? And they'd go, a what? And I'd go, pop. And they go, no, 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 do you want a Coke or a Sprite? And I, and I go, uh, no, they go, do you want a Coke? And I go, yeah, no, I don't want Coke, I want Sprite. They go, no, that's what I mean when I say, do you want a Coke? Okay, there's a lot of cultural differences in Texas that were not in Alaska, and it weirded me out. I didn't understand it. So one thing that was strange to me was I saw a lot of people wearing these T-shirts. Usually they were white, and they had a little insignia in the front, and in the back they had like a hand-drawn thing, and that hand-drawn thing had palm trees and had cool car, and it said In-N-Out Burger, <laughs> California. So I, I, I was an observer. I'm trying to learn and understand and fit in, and I'm like, why are these people wearing a T-shirt about a burger joint in California when we're in Texas. It makes no sense at all. You guys ever had that experience? Come on. It's weird, I think. I thought it was weird. I was like, who are you guys? Like, why do you like California hamburgers enough to wear a t-shirt, you know? And so I, one time I had, we had a group of friends and I, we'd I'd been in school a couple months and we're sitting around having dinner or something and, and one of them had the shirt on and I said, hey, why did everyone wear those shirts? And all of them go, you don't know? And I was like, <laughs> California hamburgers? I'm good with burgers. I don't think about California hamburgers. It's like, you have no idea. This is In-N-Out Burger. And they're like, there's none in Texas at the time. They said, they're in California. And the burgers are amazing and the secret sauce. And this is funny. They, I'm not kidding. They all go, and people line up in their cars all through the parking lot. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, I guess it's good burgers, you know? So I thought that was weird. Honestly, there's a lot of things I thought weird about Texas culture. I finally adapted, but I'm fine. Um, so I thought that was strange. So we, uh, lived in, we lived in Central Texas for a number of years after that, went overseas. And on our first furlough, I remember someone saying, we're getting in and out. And I was like, finally, what's all the excitement about? You know, this is years later. So we go to In-N-Out Burger and I walk in. Here's my experience. If yours is one like this, you'd probably relate. I walk in and I go, this place is nice. It's white. It's airy, it's open. I walk to the counter and everyone's happy and working hard and everyone has nice uniforms on. They got a cool hat. And, and then I look at the menu and I go, okay, I can choose a burger or a burger <laughs> or a burger <laughs> and fries. And I was like, I love this place. It's so simple. <laughs> Have you ever eaten with me at a restaurant? I don't like huge menus. That I just... Give me what I like and keep me having what I like. I just, so I loved In-N-Out Burger. I was sold. You know, I was like, this place is simple. And then I ate the burger and I was like, the secret sauce. What's secret about this? It's amazing, right? And then, and then this happened. We're eating. And this guy walks up and goes, do you want one of these hats? And I said, yes. And I'm like, I'm in because all the workers had hats. And I'm like, I'm part of the family now, right? Like, I'm in. Like, I stood at a distance for years and thought, you guys are all weird. California hamburgers and people getting in line to get them, that's strange. And then I had the in and out experience. And then they offered me the hat, and I'm like, I'm part of the family, okay? Now, um, true story. Now, think about, the, let me just read two verses about the guard as we wrap up. You guys ready? It applies to In-N-Out Burger, I promise. Um, so verse 32, it said that the Jewish leaders sent the, sent the guards off to arrest Jesus. Verse 45. 
Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who, who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one has ever spoke the way this man does. The guards replied, why didn't you bring him in? No one's ever spoke this way. So they work for the Jewish leaders. They've heard these kind of religious conversations. But for some reason, when they got close to him, catch this, when they got close to him, everything changed. Belief started to settle in their hearts because they got close to him. Okay? in and out Burger. I had it for years. That's weird. And then I tried it, and I'm like, I even got the hat. I don't own a shirt. Don't worry, I don't want a shirt. So, um, but, but, but the comparison is similar. I hope you can catch that. Is there is a place in God where we have to go, I'm going to meet with him. And when I do, everything changes. It's no longer I go to church on Sunday and I hear another sermon and I, and I hear preaching and I do this and that. And nothing changes about me. If there's nothing changing in you when you walk out of here, it's a good chance to go, God, I need to be different. We can't be consumers. We've got to be in love with him. Okay? Just like the guards to say, when I got close to him, everything was different. Okay? And here's the culmination of this. This is day seven. This is uh, verse 37 and 38. On the last and greatest day of the festival, so remember the backdrop we already said. What's going on? Everyone's anticipating, they're celebrating. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus stood up in front of the people, in front of his brothers, in front of the guards, and in front of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and he said, Anyone who's thirsty, come to me. Okay, if you've lived in Arizona long, you probably haven't, we've, we've lived here about 15 months. What I've discovered is by the time I'm thirsty, I'm actually dehydrated. And headaches are coming and bad things are happening. You guys know what I'm saying? Okay, probably in this room, you might not feel thirsty. But we're created to drink deep of relationship with him. We're created to come close. And so even today, are you able to hear Jesus say, come to me? Now, that's if you have a relationship. If you don't have a relationship with him, he's inviting you into the most incredible relationship that will change your life forever. If you know him and you're familiar with him and you find yourself as one of the brothers or the people or maybe even the religious leaders where you amass knowledge but you really don't know, like know him, he didn't stand up and say, you guys are terrible. He stood up and he said, come close, please. Can you hear his heart beating his longing here? He's not calling out in correction. He's calling out an invitation. He's saying, come near to me. Every bit of pain, every bit of confusion, question, if your marriage is in shambles, come to me. That's your answer. If you're not sure what tomorrow holds, come to me. That's my answer. And he, watch, the, watch the progression here. He said, come to me. They said, whoever's thirsty, come to me and drink. And after that, if you drink, belief comes. If you find a place of unbelief in your heart, even in the little corner where you're like, is God really that good? You watch this stuff about Evaldi and you're like, where was God? This is, this is our invitation. Slow down the noise, turn off the noise, create space with you and God. Get your journal and your Bible and sit with him and say, God, I don't get it. This doesn't make sense. But belief comes, and from that it says, streams of living water will flow from us. So here's the beautiful thing as we finish up. If we'll heed his call to come, and again, please don't hear, oh, not a Pharisee. There's Pharisaical tendencies in each of us to look good, but actually not let that truth transform how we live. If we'll heed his call to come, we're going to drink deep of something that's so refreshing and so satisfying. And what's the, the byproduct? Flows from through us. If you want to see the world changed, how is the world transformed? It's from you and I drinking deep of Jesus. 
And from that overflow, my work is transformed. From the overflow, my marriage is set free. From the overflow, my future is secure of a secret place in God. Okay, so why don't we all stand up? So if, if you feel comfortable here just for a couple minutes, um, or for maybe one minute, and then we're gonna respond with a little bit of worship. Don't fall, I almost fell again. Um, is, is I wanna I want invite us to just interact with God for a minute, just real fast. Okay, so if you feel comfortable closing your eyes, and when I ask that, it's because it just turns off the distractions. There's nothing holy about closing your eyes. It just kind of turns off the distractions of everyone around me and all the situation around me. So if you feel comfortable closing your eyes and just asking him a simple question. Now, how he speaks is gentle, is kind. There's no accusation in his voice, but it's clear. There's always a come attached to when he speaks. Our heart says yes. So let's ask the question, God, is there any part of my life that I relate with you like one of the brothers or the Pharisees or the people? Just asking that really fast. God, is there any part of my life? Just wait quietly. Peace, Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And now in response to him, when he brings us correction and revelation, we just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm human. I need help. And then, God, would you give me anything in exchange for this? God, what do I do? Just ask him those questions. Lord, what do I do? God, what do I do? And now thank him. Thank him for his kindness, his nearness right now. Lord, we thank you that you're near. We thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. Lord, we thank you that your presence is here right now. All right. So as we worship, I just invite you to worship him like the, like the, the guards, hungry, longing to be fed. Worship him like the guards. I'm not going to stand a distance any longer. I want to come near. Show me who you are. Okay. And there's going to be some prayer teams up front. If you have something that you're like, I need breakthrough here. I need help to hear him. I need help this way or the other. It doesn't have to be major, but it's just I need something more. You're welcome to come forward and get prayer. This, the, the front is open. You're welcome just during the song to get on your face before God and ask him for help. Let today be a new day for us. That's the opportunity.